So this one is really exciting for me personally. So okay. episode four of the Calgary Fitness Podcast, Vinci Choi with me. So Vinci, we go back way, 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 yeah. way back, yeah. even before we got into our professional careers. Yeah. High, high school. school. High school. High school. Yeah, and we met like doing drama, right? <laughs> like, remember that play? It was that play Harvey. And oh, like, yeah. I don't even know how I got like looped into doing like tech, but I was just doing like makeup and hair. Oh like, my goodness. I know. I remember. That was with the rabbit, right? Yeah. The invisible yeah. rabbit. Yeah. Oh man, was that fun. So that would probably have been 15 years ago. Ugh. 15 years so ago. Right? I know. <laughs> I know. So 15 years ago, Vinci and I, uh, high school, and we kind of stayed connected after. Yeah. I remember you and I went to the same gym for a while too, yeah. even before I knew what you were doing. And I, I kind of knew that you were into holistic health and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But um, we didn't really make the connection until I was, was in broadcasting. Mm-hmm. We talked a yeah. little bit about... Um, so I worked for radio and we'd do like a weekly, monthly yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, and, and you would everything. like kind of have me do like a few like quick, like they were usually yeah. like a minute or two. Yeah. 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 And I always found too, like the comments that would come out of that were always so positive because it's like, Vinci is such a good speaker. Oh, so thanks. thank you so much for coming on. Like thanks. that is, that is amazing. Cause like, I feel like the pressure's on. The pressure's <laughs> on, you bet. Um, and I think that, you know, in the Calgary specific scene, people have seen your face. They've seen your face. They've heard your name. Uh, TV, radio, everything like that. Yeah, so, yeah. Right? It's been a while since I've done TV, yeah. but like, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I try to be out there. Yeah, <laughs> good, because the information you're spreading is just, it's so important. So oh, let's talk about your background a little bit. What sure. got you into health, nutrition, everything? Yeah, well, um, I guess like growing up, like I guess my story isn't very typical or exciting I think Um, but I don't know maybe you can be a better judge of that but uh, yeah so growing up like I came from a pretty um, traditional I guess like Chinese family in the sense that you know like um, you hear that stereotype of like oh like you need to be a doctor a lawyer I guess in in Alberta it tends to be different because they add engineer to the mix and um, my dad has his own company in Hong Kong so he had always wanted me to take over his business and um, I think like I was always better at like the math and sciences so I was like okay like that's kind of what I want to lean towards but like being a doctor would be way too stressful because like doctors are expected to know everything and I think we had a family friend who was a dietitian or a nutritionist and so that's how I knew like this field existed and I thought like you know I was always interested in like how does food turn into like the different nutrients in our body and then like you know and then like the different bodies like functions and stuff like that of course like you learn that in like biochem one and two and then you're like I don't remember any of this like yeah. like Krebs cycle right. um so um but yeah that's how I like just knew that this occupation existed in the first place mm. and like I just and I think another thing that drew me into it as well is that like everybody eats and like so it's something that I think everybody can at least like connect to in a way um whereas um you know, like if I said I was going to be like a rocket scientist or whatever, like so, like it would just go over people's heads. So yeah. this would be something that I think like people could connect to as well. And it sounds like, so that sounds like to me, like you kind of have a passion for helping people then. Is, is that right? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So like where, where did your journey start post high school, post 15 years ago, I guess, where did you, where did you make your steps into where you are today? Yeah. So, um, so I went to McGill for university. Um, so I was like, 
I guess it was just like researching schools and I think it's it's funny because for the longest time like I always I had family who lived in Vancouver and so you know for the longest time they were like okay Vinci like you're gonna go to you you're gonna apply to UBC like you're just gonna like live with family and like go to school in Vancouver or whatever and then I think I was just like looking up like what schools like have a dietetics program and um you know, I saw that McGill had one and, you know, it was like, well, McGill's like in Montreal and it's like a pretty famous school. So I'll apply there as well. And so um, I was lucky enough to get in and um, yeah, and, and I did the dietetics program there. So how um, like the path to becoming a dietitian, you need to do like your four year bachelor's degree and a dietetic internship and you pass the exam and then you pass the exam. So um, McGill was unique at the time since it was one of the first schools that had an integrated internship program. Mm. So oh, okay. um, before, like what um, you know, a nutrition student had to do is you had to finish your bachelor's degree and then apply for an internship. Mm. And I like have met people who like didn't get their internship oh. like after like even three tries. What? So yeah, so we were very lucky that like as long as we kept up like a C average, like yeah. we like it was part of the program. Okay. And because they made it part of the program as well, um, like we would do it not just all at the end of our program like it would be you know the summer after second year we did like four weeks and then the summer after third year we did eight weeks so then I just had an extra half year at the end instead of like an extra year of just internships okay. So, okay. Um, and I always feel like very lucky that like I went into a program that's so specific like nutrition and like am still in that career because like mm. yeah there's also people who like you know they you come out of high school and it's so normal to not know like what you're gonna do yeah. for the rest of your life right like yeah. you're a te- you're still a teenager yeah. then. and so like I yeah every day I think about like how lucky I am like that you know I you know kind of chose a program that's very specific and you know and am still working in the field today cool so mm-hmm. synopsis I mean go, go as lame in terms as you'd like but who do you help and how do you help them um, so I, so my practice now, and it's really evolved over the years, but, um, now I, um, specialize in helping people who struggle with disordered eating or just have like a broken relationship with food or their body in some way. Um, and I do it through like kind of a health at every size, intuitive eating, mindful eating, informed approach. So how does somebody identify that they have a broken relationship because I'm sure Mm -hmm. that they don't know or some of them don't know that that relationship is is broken yeah yeah Um, and I think that's such a good point because I think like there's so much um, so many like disordered eating behaviors that have Mm. become normalized in our culture now like um, you know even if I'm allowed to go on a tangent even thinking back like so uh, before like I think even just a few years ago, I I actually used to work um, in a bariatric surgery clinic, so a weight loss surgery clinic. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the statistics that you hear all the time is that like, you know, people who are pursuing weight loss surgery, I think there's like a certain, there should be a higher percentage of um, eating disorders. And like, you know, at the time I was like, well, we don't see a lot of people Mm -hmm. who have eating disorders. Or like, I think in the initial assessment, we would do a screen and, you know, I was like, well, like not a lot of people are screening for eating disorders. It's not matching up with this 
data that we're seeing from outside like what's what's going on there and um, like now that I have a greater understanding of what disordered eating and eating disorders actually are it's because like a lot of this behavior is so normalized so like you know even just like counting calories or counting macros or you know only allowing yourself to eat certain foods like you know like um, so like all these things that I think are so normalized especially right now we're recording it's just the new year and a lot of people yeah. are doing whole 30 or talking about like cutting out carbs or cutting out sugar that kind of thing like I mean I think at the time when I was working at the bariatric surgery clinic you know in my mind I was like oh yeah like that's what people do when they try to lose weight but in reality that's really um, a disordered relationship with food and like the start of yeah like disordered eating so mm-hmm. it's it sounds like you know people like correct me if I'm wrong like I never want to talk out of place here Mm -hmm. but like it sounds like that could develop like neurotic behavior is that is that like counting calories counting macros those kinds of things yeah it becomes obsessive like I know a lot of people say like that they just can't um like every meal that they eat or like or you know I they it gets to the point where like people um won't eat certain things like just because they don't know the calorie count or like especially when it starts affecting your quality of life right like if you're like well I don't go out to restaurants because I don't know like what's in the food or like I won't go to parties or friends houses um so yeah so so and like is that is that at the extreme level where people don't go out like that or is that like you see that more commonly than than people would think um, yeah, like I think like it happens more often than mm. people think. Yeah, wow, mm-hmm. that's incredible. That's incredible. And so then we take that into intuitive eating, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. how do you have that intuition with your body to say, this is what I need to eat? And like, how can you relate that to, like, let me just take it back to my example. Sure. So I got intuitive with eating only because I counted at the beginning, mm-hmm. right? So how do you relate those two? Or or is it too disproportionate? proportionate to relate Mm. well I think like what's tricky is I think what makes the idea of intuitive eating so tricky to grasp is that like a person eating intuitively could be eating in any way like I don't know if that makes any sense at all um like so like their eating pattern like someone could be eating intuitively and eating in a way that like looks like low carb or someone could be eating intuitively and eating in a way that looks like low fat or someone could be eating intuitively and eating in a way that like looks like quote-unquote unhealthy from from the outside Um, so intuitive eating is less about like what or how much you're eating and more about yeah kind of reattuning to our body's cues because Mm -hmm. um, uh, because I think like nowadays like there is we're always um, chasing that next diet or like chasing that next like study oh like this study said like this is bad for me okay that means I like can't eat it anymore so like what am I allowed to eat and then like you know you or like I went to like this 
other health professional and got like food sensitivity testing and I'm like sensitive to all the foods under the sun except like these five foods so like um, so I think like people have sort of lost touch with their own intuition with their own body's cues Um, one of the very like one of the first questions I sometimes ask people is like how do you know like when to start eating or how do you know when to Mm. stop eating and like you know and people are like oh like well um you know I eat when it's like lunchtime or I stop eating when you know like my plate is empty or that kind of thing and and intuitive eating is really kind of returning to well like what does hungry feel like for you and what does fullness feel like for you Um, because it can be different for a lot of people I know so many people who are just kind of like I never feel hungry but that's often because it doesn't necessarily show up just as hunger pangs but like maybe they notice they start thinking about food more or they you know feel like dizzy or tired or um or like shaky so yeah I think like everybody has different like hunger and fullness cues and like sort of the work that I do is um kind of teaching them to kind of return to that so how intensive is that is it is it pretty forgiving or do you do you like provide them like a schedule or like how does that work Mm -hmm. well I think it's again it's different for every person but I think um and I think that's important sorry to cut you off there but I think that's important and I think that's going to provide a lot of value to people Mm -hmm. is that everybody and every body is different yeah right so to think that a one-size-fits-all plan is going to work for you it won't like Mm -hmm. you have to you have to understand that you are going to be different than the next person. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And um and I think like part of it has to part of it um sometimes has to do with like how like that person's own like dieting history in mm. terms of like well like how many diets have you been on like yeah. before going here like because there are so many people who like when they tell you oh like my first diet was like when I was like a teenager or or sometimes even younger than that and so if you've spent your entire life like eating by like external rules from a diet or not even a diet but even just like a healthy meal plan or if you spent your life like eating you know based on like healthy portions instead of really thinking about okay like how does this food make me feel then yeah it's it might take longer for um you know to be able to learn to trust your body again and that to me is like is core to intuitive eating and core to the work that I do is this idea of trust is Mm -hmm. learning to trust our bodies again Mm -hmm. and I mean trusting comes into like like when you say trust does that mean like trust your body to move properly trust your body to tell you the signals like expand on that a little bit um yeah I think it's like trusting that like our bodies um can like can tell us like Mm when it's ready to eat trusting that it can tell us like what it wants to eat like what is going to taste good and feel good um yeah I think that's so important and that's again a ton of value there because for me and like in the media I work in the media I've been there for 10 plus years and we are I'm gonna say almost all to blame for this marketing and this messaging that comes out that says, "Oh, keto is big and you know uh, low carb, and you got to try this carnivore diet." And are we omnivores? And mm-hmm. there's just study after study after study. Yeah. I mean, we just got one that came into our inbox the other day, and I I, I didn't throw this your way, but I'm I'm <laughs> curious. If you don't want to comment, that's fine. But um, they said that 
oh man, it was an inter- it was a study out of Dalhousie University. I believe it was Dalhousie, okay. where overeaters are now contributing to climate change. Oh my gosh! Right, and so now that's just bringing on more shame yeah. to think that you know the food waste that I have, or you know the packaging that I throw out at the end of the meal, or, or whatever it is. Like that's kind of how the study was based on. Mm-hmm. I don't even remember what the numbers were, but mm-hmm. I just thought that that was really super interesting. So. To, to understand that marketing is really playing a big role into that is mm-hmm. kind of my point. Mm-hmm. How, how do you feel about that? Yeah, like I agree. Like I, you know, I don't want to blame like just media, for, yeah. Yeah. But, I, but I agree with you that it is like a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, because we are exposed to these messages that tell us like, like that this this is how we're quote unquote supposed to eat mm-hmm. or like, um, or, you know, we want to avoid like, being in a certain body size or whatever and um and I think yeah just media and is a part of it for sure yeah Mm -hmm. and some of the thing that I've seen a lot with my clients lately like you know I've had people on the phone with me crying sobbing because they don't like the way that they look in the mirror and they don't like the way that they feel and, and so on and so forth and it's just it's the, the the relationship with food. It's the relationship with uh, how the, how they should look, right? So you know, I've really just focused on trying to avoid that shame, that mm-hmm. shame that really comes into it. So so mm-hmm. talk a little bit about the feelings and and the feeling of food and the feeling of you know of of really making that a positive experience. Yeah, uh, I'm just kind of like where like where do I start? Yeah. Um, I I think like a good place to start is talking about weight stigma um, Mm. because I think what the diet industry has sort of done is like um, and like the way that a lot of diet messaging has been simplified is that um, we've so we're sort of at this place where a a lot of us believe that um, our body size and our health is a hundred percent within our control Mm. right um and so like when someone is a higher weight or if someone is unhealthy like they blame themselves they're like is it because i ate something wrong or is it because like i'm not exercising enough um and and really when we're, we're when we're thinking about health as an example like yes like our personal behaviors do have some influence but it's not really as big as like we're led to believe and so um, what often has a greater impact are the social determinants of health so like your socioeconomic status your education um, where you live like in terms of like are you living in you know a walkable environment like what does access to food look like what does access to health care look like um, these sy- systematic things have a greater impact on your health than those individual behaviors but because of like because you know I think there are just so many like factors that play into this like you know like maybe media is a part of it you know some of that diet industry messaging is a part of it like you can even argue just the fact that like as a culture we value like individualism and productivity and efficiency like that's a part of it too like so instead of um I think a lot of people, instead of being able to sort of zoom out, step back and be like, oh, like this isn't me, 
this is like really like this culture that's mm-hmm. feeding me this message and yeah. making me feel bad like they think oh it's my fault like if I hadn't done things this way then I would be better and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing so I, I have two questions that kind of popped in and, yeah. and we'll get to the, the the second one first I just want you to have this in your in your brain but yeah. how does somebody get happy but before we get there oh gosh <laughs> I just want to put a caveat out there. When you say diet and everything like that, like a diet is not something written down on a piece of paper, follow this for three months. Mm -hmm. A diet is, I mean, everybody has a diet. You eat food. Mm. Like what what is your feeling about diet Mm. and dieting? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So I know like um, the definition that like I really wish the definition of diet was, was just like eating pattern, right? But um, when I think when I think one of the words that like I like I describe myself as an anti-diet dietitian or a non-diet dietitian like when I'm talking about diet in that context dieting is really like any change in eating habits or even lifestyle habits with a goal of trying to lose weight or like manipulate your body size um and why i say that i'm like anti-diet or non-diet is because like um diets not only do they not work but they do more harm than good um because like when i say diets don't work it's because like when you look at the data um, for the vast majority of people, yes, like you can count calories or try keto or paleo and a lot of people do lose weight on diets, right? But then like when you look at the data um, and there isn't a lot out there, that's already one piece of it. But for in most cases, when you follow them back in two years, five years, most people have gained the weight back and a significant proportion of people have gained even even more weight um, than when they started and so what do people do they go on another diet and then so you see that like up and down weight cycling and there's um, and why I say diets are harmful is because like not only do they not work like they don't do what they are promised to do but like there is data now showing that weight cycling so when your weight's always going up and down like this is actually worse for your health than if you just stayed at a higher weight to begin with Another piece of it is that like dieting um, promotes, like I sort of alluded it to before, weight stigma. And so what weight stigma is, like yes, like fat shaming is a part of it, but it's also just the just the idea of like that um, there are some bodies that are better and better than others. And so it's not just like fat shaming, but if you're thinking about like spaces, like the fact that like people in larger bodies have to, you know, think about like when I go into a space, like are the chairs going to fit me or um, or or am I going to be able to use the equipment? Like when they're going to the doctor, are they going to have like blood pressure cuffs that are my size or are the chairs in the waiting room going to be big enough or even shopping for clothes? Like so many, like often plus sizes aren't in the brick and mortar stores. People have to shop online. And so all of this is weight stigma because it's limiting access to people who are in larger bodies and it's basically telling them like you're not worth the space in my store to have clothes or you're not worth it for me to accommodate for you to be at my restaurant or or that kind of thing and so and so now 
Mothers data that also shows that weight stigma itself um, also um, ha like can lead to harmful health outcomes regardless of how much a person weighs. So they like kind of measure people's um, ex like perceived exposure to weight stigma, and um, they see that like regardless of how much you weigh, the more weight stigma that you feel like you've been. Um, that you've received like that in, is a stressor and it can lead to negative health outcomes and so how dieting contributes to that is that the idea of dieting it it um, continues to kind of perpetuate this message that a smaller body is better than a larger body so it you know kind of increases the weight stigma there and we know dieting itself like uh, yes there are you know like healthier diets but like a lot of it is what I was saying before disordered eating behaviors and so disordered eating again like leads to its own negative health outcomes yeah. and so there's always all this concern about like how um you know we have this like quote unquote obesity epidemic and like that, you know, being at a higher weight like leads to all these negative health outcomes. And yes, like I totally agree that, you know, we are becoming heavier um, as a nation um, or like maybe not just a nation, but continent. And yes, like we are seeing more negative health outcomes. But what we don't know is that a lot of this research that is saying that like, um, fat causes XYZ like doesn't account for weight stigma it doesn't account for weight cycling and we know that like people in larger bodies are more likely to um, be exposed to weight stigma they're more likely to be dieting and weight cycling but if we're not accounting for that like how do we know whether it's like being like a higher weight or is it because they're being exposed to this weight stigma they're being exposed to um, their like dieting more and so um yeah and so so that's kind of why I call myself like not just anti-diet but also like fat positive mm. because it's like you know maybe it's not um fat that is the problem maybe it's because you're stuck in this cycle of dieting all the time maybe it's because we live in a culture that's telling you that your body is wrong that your body is bad yeah. that's really contributing to the poor health for sure yeah i mean it's such a complex issue right mm -hmm. it's not it's not black and white it's not yeah. so binary it's it's definitely um something that you know us as fitness professionals need to think about as well right mm -hmm. it's because i think that <clears throat> you know, six pack abs. Yeah. They're, they're sure. They could be sexy on a magazine cover, but that's not real. That's yeah. not real life. Yeah. Right. Um, so I think that, uh, I think that that's super important that you brought that up. And I think this is a good point to interject and just, I've been noticing a lot of your fat positive things on social media. So just throw out there right now, your social media handles, where are you, where can people find more information? Yeah. So I'm, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at VinciRD, so it's V-I-N-C-C-I-R-D, um, and my website is VinciChoi.com, V-I-N-C-C-I-T-S-U-I.com. I always have to spell it because, yeah. like, my name is not spelled out. Right? <laughs> so it's Choi, but it's T-S-U-I. Mm -hmm. Vinci, I'm sure you get, what, Vinci? Like, yeah. I'm sure yeah. you get a lot, Yeah. Hey? yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, you've got the book as mm -hmm. well. This is the Mindful Eating Workbook. Yeah. Um, 
if people were to try to get that or want to get that, can they get it off your website, Amazon? Yeah. Where can they get it? Yeah, yeah, all those places. Okay. So yeah, so if you order it off my website, and since this is a Calgary Fitness Podcast, um, there's no shipping fee if you order it off my website and you're in Calgary because it's actually me who like goes out in my car and delivers it. <laughs> and all the copies that are ordered from my website, I sign all of them. So oh, you can get like an great. autographed copy of the book, but you can or- also order it off of Amazon. Um, it's also in Indigo now. It's crazy because like wow. when it first came out like it was only available online but now like yeah stores in Calgary will have like a couple copies in the store oh, so, so cool. yeah, you can get it there as well it's great so the mindful eating workbook check it on the website message you on social media too yeah. if they need to totally. um, and I just wanted to ask a little bit more about that fat the, the fat positive I guess um, I noticed that you shared some you were at a conference or something like that, and yeah. so tell me a little bit about what you learned, what what you know from that, or what you learned there. Sure. So um, I guess like where this idea of like fat positive, came, or like why I there there was a specific post that I wrote about like being fat positive as opposed to just anti diet or non diet. Um, there is a psychologist or a therapist in the U.S. Her name is Maria Paredes, and her. Instagram is with underscore this underscore body and like she is like one of the smartest people mm. I know um, but yeah so so um, she kind of posted um, you know like there are all these dietitians and other health practitioners calling themselves like anti-diet and non-diet which is great but like instead of talking just about like what we're against like we really want to talk about what we're for and that's kind of what like being like fat positive is about is again like um that you know this idea that you know like maybe it's not being in a larger body that is like causing this negative health it is maybe it's more um that the weight stigma piece the weight cycling piece and like you know i want people to be able to trust their bodies and more importantly feel good in the bodies that they have now instead of like always striving for this unknown thing especially when we know that like the methods that we have to try to get people to lose weight now are actually doing more harm than good yeah absolutely so it's 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 a long-term habit forming rather Mm. than you know here's a quick fix for three months yeah 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 i think that's super important so let's circle back to that question that i asked earlier okay um because i think it might be on the listener's mind right now is is how does somebody work at being happy with themselves about being satisfied with themselves um because like my thought is is if i'm on my deathbed at 85 90 years old i'm not gonna care 50 years ago about how rigid I was, yeah. right? I'm like, why didn't I ease up a little bit? Yeah. So so how does somebody work on that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would totally hope that too because like I think the saddest part is that like I know so many people who say like their grandparents, like especially since they were raised in a culture that like was that there were even more societal pressures sometimes on like doing the right thing or like mm-hmm. looking a certain way that yeah that there are like 70 plus year old or 80 plus year old people who are still like oh I don't want to gain weight or I don't want to get mm-hmm. fat and it's just kind of like oh like you know when you're getting to that age like I I would hope that's like the last thing that you're thinking about is like you know what's good and what's bad in mm-hmm. terms of food that you eat um so I think part like kind of going back to your question I feel like I like 
like I hear myself going on tangents for every single question that you've it's asked. Good. So people want to hear sorry. from you. No, people. This is it's about you. This is this is not about me. I want to hear from you. Okay. So, um, in terms of being happy, so like all this stuff that I was talking about before, I think part of it is like realize like step one is realizing that um a lot of this is like coming from like um. Uh, like I know this is a very strong word coming from a really toxic culture um it's like messaging that isn't like it it isn't something that's coming from you it's like messaging that's that it that isn't true that's coming externally so I think like one is like even just giving yourself permission to be like angry at like the culture that's kind of led you to be unhappy with yourself and you know just kind of like and you know being able to be like okay like I'm done with this like I don't want to be like trapped in this and believing in this anymore so I think that's a part of it um and then I think like you know once you're able to see that it's an external voice and it makes it easier to kind of externalize those thoughts as well so like um this is probably like not in my scope of practice because it's 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 more like psychology based but talking about like this idea that like you are not your thoughts right like your thoughts don't have to define who you are and like just being able to like um sit with like you know sometimes sitting and like just kind of listening to those like voices you know those that negative self-talk and just and you know being able and sometimes it is just like being purposeful and like picking it out and being and you know say you know it's kind of it might be just as an example like I don't know like you are not good enough that kind of thing right and and being able to turn it around and you know like it's not realistic to go from you're not good enough to like I am amazing like you know you're not probably not going to believe that Mm. um but like even just being able to say okay like maybe I'm not good maybe I'm not good enough like who knows but I know that I'm good at xyz and like just starting to cultivate like to start like shifting that self-talk that way yeah and it's something that takes practice it's not something that's going to happen overnight definitely not i think Mm -hmm. that's important yeah uh, to make sure that people know too right yeah yeah cool well vinci i think this a ton of value for people so thank you so much for doing this thanks for having Um, me is there anything else that you wanted to throw out there are you are you accepting clients? Yes. Okay. So how can people inquire more? Just message you on DM. Check out your website. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Check out my website, vinchitoy.com, and getting a new one soon. Maybe when this episode comes out, mm. who knows? Like how long I take, how long you take. Yeah, sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm accepting new clients, and or like even if you just wanted to follow me on social media. Although like even I have a six month old, so my social media is like in shambles. <laughs> <laughs> I think I saw your last post was uh, the end of. The year yeah which is fine that's yeah. what busy parents that's what yeah. happens right yeah. Yeah. so yeah, yeah we get it we completely get it we love you we thank oh, you so thanks. much for everything yeah, that you've done for the calgary ski- scene um and hopefully we can get you on the radio again i'm not really at the radio much anymore yeah. so now i'm just mostly like online stuff yeah. so um we'll try our best to make sure that we get you on but um yeah so vinci Choi, thank you so much for doing yeah, this thanks for okay having me. subscribe to the podcast calgary fitness podcast uh make sure you use that hashtag check me out at slim fitness as well uh thank you so much yeah thanks